get this, the freedom of religion and the human conscience of the church and theology stands and falls with the perspicuity of scripture. It's a pretty bold assertion, if you ask me, and that's the subject of our next session here as we continue in on the doctrine of scripture. And it was one that was made by one of the, the foremost theologians of the 19th century, Herman Bovink. Now, the word perspicuity, I think it's kind of a, a funny word, but it's the theological term for what we're talking about, about the, the clarity of scripture. So listen again to this quote from, from Bovink, uh, understanding a little bit on, on that word, the freedom of religion and the human conscience of the church and theology stands and falls with the perspicuity, the clarity of Scripture. So far from being some obscure theological category that is like, okay, I guess I'll spend a Saturday and I'll listen to some doctrinal stuff and this will be some good knowledge for me. Apart from that, we're talking here, this subject relates profoundly to our experience and our enjoyment of religious freedom and the Christian charity that we can have with one another in matters of conscience. It's a profoundly applicable subject that we're, we're considering, among other implications that we'll look at uh, throughout our time here on this subject. But, of course, before we get there to the implications of this teaching this doctrine on the, the clarity of scripture, we need to understand what it is that we're even talking about. What are we talking about? Clarity. In, in what sense uh, is scripture, is this book that we devote ourselves to, that we're devoting a Saturday to, in what sense is it clear? What do we, what do we mean by that? Well, not just what it is, that's important for us to, to consider, but also what it isn't. Like, what do we not mean when we're talking about this teaching this doctrine. So to get us started, here's first uh, a positive statement from a historic confessional definition of, of this teaching. So here, here's the, the long-winded definition. All things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and open in some place of scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. You guys got all that, right? There's a lot of like parenthetical comments in there. Right? So let's try it in English this time. The doctrine of the clarity of scripture, it's saying that while not everything that you, you come across in scripture is, is equally clear, and it's not clear to everyone to the same degree, scripture, it does make sufficiently clear to everyone what must be done to be saved. All right, now here's the, the Twitter version just to keep boiling this down. God's word is clear for anyone to know how to be saved. That's what we're after. That's what we're, we're driving at uh, most uh, uh, significantly here, most pointedly when we're talking about the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture. Anyone can come to the Bible and read it and understand what must be done to be saved. Right? That's what we're addressing here in this session. The text of Holy Scripture. 
that is very likely within your reach 24-7 on your phone that we so easily just dismiss and think nothing of, that written word is wonderfully clear for all humanity to perceive and understand and grasp the revelation of God that they might be saved. It is perspicuous. It's clearly expressed and easily understood. I mean, this, the, this attribute of God's word, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. We are professing and affirming that the eternal God who's created this whole word, world by his very words, and, and even now is sustaining this world by that same word of his power. This God has revealed himself to us, to us, fleeting flesh bags. He's revealed to us with clarity what he intends for us to know that we might be saved, that we might be reconciled back to him. Like this, as you dwell on this, it it really is confounding and mind-blowing that we have a God who would be so merciful and generous and gracious like that to reveal himself in such ways to make it known, make himself known to us. That the transcendent triune has spoken and revealed a written word, a written word especially that any of us can understand. Just dwell on that here for a second. It didn't have to be that way. God didn't have to order the world, order salvation, order his revelation in that kind of a way. It's amazing that God would be so merciful and generous towards us. Because you think about it, like how uh, the various uh, idols that that people give themselves to, even even today, there's another conference going on uh, just down the road in Plymouth at at a hotel where our church gathered for worship for a few weeks in December that is devoted to the exact opposite of what we're after. It's... going to mess up the pronunciation, I'm sure, but uh, Paganicon or something. You know, it's, it's a conference for pagans, for those who practice Wicca and witches and identify themselves as warlords. Like, that's going on now. Right? And, and they are going after uh, the secret special knowledge that they have to somehow attain. And there's no hope, there's no light in what they're giving themselves to. And we have a God who has said, you want to know me? You want to know how to be made right with me? I'll give you a book that you can understand, that you don't have to have special teachers and instructors. You don't have to rely on seances or, or uh, some special... Uh, warlord type person who's gonna like wear a cloak and incense and candles and all this kind of stuff like this isn't some esoteric insight that you have to go uh, clamoring around for it's here written for us to take in and to know who our God is and I just find that remarkable and stirs us hopefully to worship that God would reveal himself in this kind of a way now, if all that is a, a positive definition of this doctrine, what it is, what isn't it? What, what, what is this doctrine not teaching? What are we not claiming when we say that Scripture is clear? And this is where we might start perspiring in perspicuity. 
This is what I've titled this talk, Perspiring in Perspicuity, Wrestling with the Clarity of Scripture. Now, just try saying that five times fast. Perspiring in perspicuity. Perspiring in perspicuity, perspiring in perspicuity, perspiring in perspicuity. It's a good little practice maybe to have. Uh, get yourself warmed up. Uh, what are we not claiming as we do this, right? And why might it cause us to perspire here a little bit? So as we are considering this teaching, this doctrine, we're saying that, uh, well, what we're not saying is that because Scripture is as clear as we're claiming it to be, that all might understand how to be saved, right? That's what we're saying, that all can understand how to be saved. That doesn't mean, therefore, that one can take a mechanical approach to reading God's Word, to reading the Bible, It's not that you read, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and bam, like you just get saved. Like that's not what we mean when we're saying the clarity of scripture. It's not, it's not a, there isn't a mechanical approach to it where all you have to do is like read a a certain verse at a certain time, like and the things just have to be right and the stars align all of a sudden like, wow, you you get saved. Like that's, that's not what we're meaning on, on what uh, we're after in this attribute of God's word. It's not just John, 3, uh, John three sixteen, but we can read throughout all of the scriptures, not just some of those like favorite verses, but we can read of the hope of salvation provided by God Himself. However, when your neighbor opens the Bible, like as you engage with with your neighbors and you say, "Hey, do you want to do you want to do a Bible study?" Like I, you've asked questions. Uh, maybe, you know, you, I know you grew up Lutheran. Like, have, have you ever actually, like, read, read the Gospel of Mark and, like, studied this? Like, you can sit down with your neighbor and, and she can understand what you're, you're talking about as you, you walk through this Bible study. But she can still walk away and regard it as foolishness. It can still happen, even though Scripture is clear. Or scholars, like I think Josh mentioned one of them. Can, uh, yeah, the Hebrew scholar at, at Oxford can expertly trace the, the literary artistry or the, the perfect parsing of Hebrew verbs and syntax and all this stuff. Right, they can uh, capture the redemptive tapestry that is articulated in the Bible. They can have a better understanding of any of us and still dismiss it as superstitious spirituality. They can still say, well, yeah, I know. Uh, exactly what this word is trying to convey, but it's still just silliness. It can still happen even though scripture is clear. Scripture is clear to make one wise unto salvation, 2 Timothy 3.15, then how come it doesn't always do it? And that can start to give us some angst. Like, man, and just crying out to the Lord, like, God, I've shared these verses with my, my brother-in-law time and time again, but he just doesn't seem to get it. He just doesn't seem to see the beauty and the wonder that I perceive here. Or I've opened the word, I've testified to my colleagues, and I've told them about the holiness of God and how there is this creator, and he's made himself known to us, and he's, he's come even and, and taken on human form that, he, that we might be saved and be brought back to him. And, and this just makes me so joyful. And, and yet my colleagues, they just kind of look at their watches and get back to their desks. 
Like, like, Lord, why? Why is this so? Why, when, when I see things so clearly in your word that, that make it so plain as to who you are and who I am and how it is that, that I'm brought back to you, why then, why do these people not believe? Well, enter 1 Corinthians 2.14. Here, Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, he tells them, in this verse, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul, in the context of what he's writing here, he's, he's contrasting his ministry, the, the proclamation of the gospel, uh, with the, the philosophy and, and human wisdom of those that are, are been shaped by, by Greek philosophy. And they've, they're bringing this into the church and, and stirring up division among the, the Corinthians. And, and Paul, he is, he's taking such philosophy and he's throwing it back at them as he uses this uh, term spiritual person. The spiritual person. One, one theologian, he notes how, uh, how this word that is translated spiritual, in the Greek it's, it's uh, tsukikos, how this word was applied by Aristotle to describe men and women at their best, the end product of the process of training and enculturation in the Greek philosophy and worldview. So, so it looks as though like, that Paul is, is taking this kind of like buzzword from Greek philosophy, and all right, here's like the, the pinnacle of, of what Greek philosophy produces, and he's flipping it on its head and throwing it back at them to say that this person is spiritually clueless. The natural person, the person that Greek philosophy would say is at the, the height of their tradition, Paul's saying they don't have an idea about what is going on, uh, about the true things of the world and what God has revealed because they are spiritually discerned. They are discerned by the help of God's spirit. And so when the liberal theologians can magnificently articulate the, the structure and form of scripture in ways that would spin circles around me, uh, yet they still regard the Bible as merely a, a clever and socially impactful book of historical significance, the problem isn't with scripture. The problem isn't that this book is not clear. The reason that that scripture is not clear to them unto salvation is that the work of God is still needed. The reason why this book, why the truths expounded in it are folly to such a person, the reason he doesn't understand this book in a way that leads to salvation is because they are discerned by the initiative of God's spirit so the, the clarity of scripture doesn't mean that God's word is some kind of magical incantation that the other conference down the road is looking for. That, that's not what we're saying as we, we come to this book. Where if we just read that right verse or uh, read it at the right time or share the right thing, that that person is all of a sudden going to repent and believe. It requires God's spirit to move and act and make it effective in their lives. So that the barrier does not reside in God's ability to convey what he means about sin and judgment and salvation. 
but rather the, the issue is in us. The issue is in our neighbor and in that liberal scholar. It's, the issue is our persistent rebellion. When we are spiritually clueless, that we reject the claims that Scripture makes. So the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture, it, it doesn't undercut the content that we considered at last year's spring conference. Right? If you were here for that, the, the five solas, We are truly saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, on the authority of Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. Our understanding of Scripture's clarity doesn't undermine those precious and great realities. We've got more to consider here now from God's word related to this doctrine. So 1 Corinthians 2.14 points to what this doctrine is not saying, uh, let's shift here to see what it is that the Bible says about the clarity of itself, about its own clarity. So first off, the Bible, it says that it is clear for all of God's people to read and understand, not just like an elite group of, of super Bible readers, like all of God's people can understand and, and so God, he, he spoke through Moses. This has been, passage has been referenced already in Deuteronomy 8.3. Deuteronomy 8.3, God says through Moses, uh, revealing the point of the manna in the wilderness. Like Why did Israel receive uh, such provision for their whole time in the wilderness? Moses tells them, the Lord, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's not just the priests or the kings. It's not just the prophets that live by the very word of God. All of you, just as you all partook of the manna, all of you, your life is sustained by God's very word. You are dependent upon it. Or Psalm 19 verse 7 reveals that God's word is is not just for the learned, but also for the unlearned, as the confessional statement mentioned. Psalm 19 verse 7, the law of the Lord, it is perfect, reviving the soul, the the, the testimony of the Lord. It is sure, making wise the simple. It's for the learned and the unlearned. Or you could walk through all of Psalm 119. We won't take the time to do that here, but as you go through there, you, you see reference not just to the prophets and the priests and the kings and their relation to God's word, but the everyday man, that all of us relate to his word directly, that it is for us all. Second, the Bible, right, so it's, first of all, it's, it's for everybody. It's for all of us. It's not to be mediated through some other individual. It's for us all. Second, the Bible says it's clear in that God is, is always communicating what he means. It's always clear to communicate what he means. God, he is not inept at communication. There are no voice-to-text autocorrect type messages. Have you gotten those before? I kind of I have a little bit of a delight when I get these. Like it sometimes with my wife, but you know, especially my father-in-law. I'm like, okay, is this like the current version of like the pocket dial? Like, well, I don't know what I, I'm trying to I'm trying to like decipher it. And so, like, you know, I'm going to the store, going to the grocery store, and I get away from my text, or I get away from my text. I get a text from my wife, 
She said, hey, while you're there, would you pick up a maypole? Sir, up. I'm like, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to get what? Like, I'm, she wants me to get a maypole. Like, I know it's spring, but I don't, a, may, a maypole. I'm getting a may, maypole, maypole. May, she was probably driving a maple, a maple, maple, sir, up. Oh, I got to get some maple syrup. All right, I got to pick up some maple syrup. Got it. God's word is never like that, <laughs> fortunately, right? I mean, it's never unclear like that. So listen to Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. If God can accomplish all that he intends through the word that he issues forth, you better believe that he's not going to have any issues with how he communicates it. Right? I mean, if it's that effective to actually accomplish what he intends for it to do, you've you got to know that it's going to be clear. Because if, if he says, I want some maple syrup, it's not going to come across as, I want some maples, sir, up. Like, it, it's not going to go that way. Like, it's going to be, he's not going to accomplish all that he intends through his proclaimed word if it isn't clear. So fortunately, it is. Third, third scripture is clear, but not always to everyone in the same way all the time. Right? It, it is clear, but not always to everyone in the same way all the time. This is why... The confessions, they, they say that the meaning of the Bible, it is clear in a uh, due use of the ordinary means. That's why there's that provision in there, in a due use of the ordinary means. And that's significant. Like, for one, we don't need, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the contrary of ordinary, uh, abnormal or, you know, like supernatural. Like we don't need to, to have a seance to understand like, okay, Lord, uh, what did you say? 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 Like, uh, it's not some supernatural avenue by which we can understand what God has made known here. It is through ordinary means. And so there are going to be times where some work is going to be needed. Like you're, you're going to actually have to put some effort forth to understand what God has revealed here. And there's going to be times when you need to ask for help. That other brothers and sisters in the Lord who've had more experience, more time immersing and saturating themselves in God's word, like they have, they've got a better grasp of it and they can walk with you in it. And so you're, you're going to need to actually read your Bible. You're going to have to prayerfully ask the Spirit to, to help you to understand what it is that he's made known. You're going to need to utilize proper Bible study methods. You'll have to listen to sermons and be discipled to learn to obey what you read here and examine what it is that the church has understood about the scriptures throughout history. These are all ordinary means that are available to you all to understand with clarity what God has made known. They aren't special. They're ordinary. Everybody can do it. I was even thinking, uh, like, my six-year-old daughter, my youngest, she can understand what's here. Like, 
and knowing how to read. Like, she's got the tools necessary to be able to come to the word and grapple with it. And yes, she's going to need help along the way. But it's remarkable that a six-year-old can read it and someone who's been a Christian for 60 years, who's devoted themselves to studying God's word for that whole time, likewise, can understand it. It's amazing. So you can, even though that's true, even though the six-year-old and the person who's been a Christian for 60 years, both can come to the Bible and understand it, not always in the same way, at the same time, to the same degree, um, even though that's true, like things, things can still be hard. And I find this really encouraging that you could be the first among equals of the apostles. Right? The apostle Peter, first among equals. Even he had a tar- hard time understanding some things that are captured here in the scriptures. Right? And so he wrote in the end of his second epistle, Second Peter 3, he said, Our beloved brother Paul, he also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters, uh, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So I just, I'm just like, okay, yes. Like when I, when I come up a hard, against a hard passage, it's like, Lord, what do you mean by this? Like, I don't, I'm not really grasping here what it is that you're after. I take great encouragement that the apostle Peter did the same thing when he was reading some of Paul's letters. I find that very helpful. On the other hand, though, There is some of what is captured here in this book that is intended to not be understood by everyone, but instead intended to have a hardening effect. See, that's why Jesus spoke the way he did regarding uh, uh, parables and why he spoke in parables. So we've got captured for us in Mark's gospel, Mark 4, 10 through 12. Jesus explained why it is to the apostles, why it is that he speaks in parables. And so he tells them, when, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And that's a tough thing for us to swallow. That's hard to to like emotionally grasp like why would you do that why would you communicate in such a way that not everything was crystal clear for people to repent and believe the problem is not the way in which God has revealed himself the problem as I think what Jesus is pointing to is the uh, rebellious idolatry that we are all so inclined towards and as Jesus speaking here, he's making reference back to Isaiah, where that was the ministry that Isaiah was likewise given. That not everybody's going to believe, not everybody's going to hear or receive it, but it will have a hardening effect to make plain that the problem is their own rebellion and idolatry. So there are those who may understand the significance of the parables through ordinary means and yet still regard it as mere religious talk. And they are, in fact, hardened in their unbelief. And so not everyone understands God's word in the same way, to the same degree, at the same time. Fourth, scripture is clear in its proximity. Scripture is clear in its proximity. Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. 
Moses again writes, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not uh, in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that you can do it. God, he has been ever so gracious in providing his revealed word clearly. It isn't far off and and esoteric. It's captured here for us in a book that is intended to be close to all of God's people. That's why the priests were were commanded to read the law of Moses regularly. And why, why Paul, he calls on pastors like Timothy to devote themselves to the public reading of Scripture. Because the word is to be near to all of us. It conveys his very presence. But the, the clear nearness of the word that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 30, Paul picks that up in Romans 10 and says that it is fulfilled in the coming of Christ. That the, the very nearness of God's revealed word is fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And so theologian John Frame, he explains the, quote, the, the nearness of the word now is the nearness of Christ himself in the word of faith, Paul's gospel. We meet Christ in the gospel. And as we confess and believe him, we are saved. Here, the clarity of the word is nothing less than the presence of Christ in the word. Friends, is that not incredible that God communicates so clearly in Scripture to convey his very own presence? That we actually get to commune with God himself and know his son through this book. There is no other writing like this. There is no other work of literature that comes close to accomplishing that. Oh, praise God for his clarity. Now, beyond leading to doxology, this doctrine of perspicuity, it, it is worth sweating over. It is. It, for one, it, it keeps us from, from two significant errors. And I, I was helped by Dr. Mark Thompson of Moore Theological College in, in drawing this out. He observed how uh, this doctrine guards us from two things. On the one hand, first, it guards us from the Roman Catholic error of saying that only the the church, we've heard this mentioned before, the the magisterium, that only the the church proper, the official structures within the church, only, uh, only that entity can rightly understand and interpret scripture. That's an error that is corrected by this doctrine of the clarity of scripture. Because we we don't need a priest. And and we sure don't need a church council or a pope to interpret what is here for us plainly and clearly in God's word. All because God has ordained and saw it good that he would reveal himself in clarity. Swinging the other direction. So we're guarded from, from that error of saying that we need some ecclesiastical authority to tell us what God's word means. We don't need that. But there's a, another error on the other side of the, the pendulum, swinging the other way. This doctrine, it, it keeps us uh, from making the more charismatic error. I wasn't sure what exactly to title this, but the, the more charismatic error of saying that we need new and fresh revelation. 
that, that what we find revealed in God's word is not enough. That, that we need God to, to make himself known in new and clearer ways that is more immediately applicable to our situation today. This doctrine of the clarity of scripture keeps us from both of those errors. Like we can get pulled in, in either direction and this teaching keeps us faithful, keeps us grounded and rooted. Keeps us grounded in the reality that God's word is for all people and is understandable to provide all that we need to obey God faithfully. But apart from these kind of more theological errors that we can make, this doctrine, it imparts uh, all that we need. Right, uh, it, it impacts even you. Like This isn't just for the theologians to debate. It is for you. It is because of this doctrine that you can have confidence that when you roll out of bed at 5.30 in the morning and open up your Bible just to try to squeeze out some devotional drip, that you can have confidence that you actually can understand what is here written in this word. Or, or, or as you are wrapping things up with your kids in the evening and you go to, to open the Bible, like it is because of Scripture's clarity that you can have confidence that as you read, you actually will understand what God has revealed here. You can know and read and understand what God has written for you because of its clarity. And I was dwelling on this and thinking, you know, like that is just so ingrained in our understanding of God's word that we probably assume it. But that is not so for all of church history, that, that we would have this understanding of scripture, that I can actually read this and, and understand it, and I can take it in. We've assumed it so much. But our, our, our reading and understanding of God's word, it has a profound impact on us. It's not just that we understand it, but that it changes us. So to paraphrase Thomas Cranmer, this is something to the effect that, of, uh, that when we read and meditate on Scripture, those fleeting and sinful things of this world, they lose their luster, and the desire for the, the great things of glory grow in us because of its clarity. Related to this, you can know how God would have you to live because of Scripture's clarity. And the, the historic influence, as an example, of, of the Ten Commandments in the development of legal tradition, it is in no small part due to their clarity. But it isn't just the well-known parts of the Bible. Again, John Frame he writes, Scripture is always clear enough for us to carry out our present responsibilities before God. So it's not necessarily going to tell you you need to accept that job and pack up and move across the country or to marry this girl or to have this many number of children. Like It's not clear in that respect, but it is going to help you and give you all that you need to act faithfully in those varied contexts. So we have confidence as we look to the Bible for direction on how we ought to live because his word is clear. There are implications as well of this doctrine for society more broadly, not just our individual experience. So as you think back on church history, and maybe especially on, on missionary movements, what institutions do Christians set themselves to establishing? Hospitals, 
everywhere you see Christians show up and missionaries sent, like there's hospitals that, that are formed and established there. Hospitals and schools. Schools. Why? Like, why would Christians be so concerned about hospitals and schools? I mean, hospitals seems evident enough. Like, we want to love our neighbor and care for them and make sure that they are provided for uh, in relieving physical suffering. But schools? Well, we establish schools to love our neighbor so that they might know how to read. That, that's, that's why Christians have done this, that we would know how to read this book. And that's why Christians have devoted themselves to uh, not just teaching how to read, but translating this book into the common vernacular, into a language that people can actually grasp and understand that, that uh, aligns with how it is that they communicate. Because we believe in the clarity of Scripture. Because people need to know this book and understand it, because through knowing and understanding this book, they know and understand God. What better way to not only bring about the evangelization of the nations, but the building up and and equipping of local churches to know, believe, and observe what is necessary for salvation than for them to read it themselves. Because cultures change. Societies are transformed when people read what is written in this book revealed by the eternal God. How about that quote that we started with? From Bavink. The freedom of religion and the human conscience of the church and theology, it stands and falls with the perspicuity of Scripture. Where's he going to that? What, what, how's he making that connection? Because we, we all, especially when we're aided by God to discern the, uh, the things of the Spirit, because we, we all can actually read and study and test and, and understand what God has made known, no one, no one can tell us to worship God in a way contrary to the scriptures. We are, we are free to worship God truly because we know what it is that he has said. Because we, we know how it is that he has called for us to worship him. And so no one can tell us to do otherwise. This is why the clarity of Scripture guards our religious freedom. No one can bind our conscience to go against Scripture because we can go to the book and say, I am free to do this or that. God has redeemed me and filled me with his spirit, and so I can walk by faith and do X, Y, or Z. And so for you to tell me I can't, I don't have to trust that because God's word is clear. And so our churches and our doctrine are purer because of the perspicuity of Scripture. And we claim that all men are created equal and we have unalienable rights that have been endowed by our Creator, not only because they are self-evident, but because God has revealed who people are and how we ought to be governed. And this is all knowable through the clarity of Scripture. So if God's word were not uh, or if God's word were only authoritative and inerrant and sufficient and necessary but scripture was not clear not perspicuous then authority would be invested in human structures to give the meaning and interpretation of what God has said that would be the the result and when that kind of unimpeachable authority is given over to sinful men, you will have 
tyranny that suppresses liberty. So friends, we must perspire over perspicuity and preserve this historical and and biblical teaching concerning God's word. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, we praise you for how you have ordered this world and ordered redemptive history that you would deem it good and right to reveal yourself through a written book. You could have just made stories known that got passed on from generation to generation. You could have called us to just look at the stars and the natural order. You could have done it, I'm sure, in lots of other ways. But you saw it good to reveal yourself in a book that all humanity might be able to perceive it and read it and understand it, to know the claims that you place on us. And that would have one of two effects, either hardening our hearts to persist in our rebellion and our idolatry, the same kind of paganism that is going on and being espoused even now, or through the help of your spirit, he would make us alive and that your word would have its good effect and we would be saved. So we praise you, God, for this book. We praise you for its clarity. May we not consider it common and be quick to relegate it to a shelf. Help us through it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.